Hey man, thank you. Good evening. Really, really good to be uh, with you. Let me just uh, take a moment just to thank you for your prayers. I know you uh, pray for me and ministry and also us as a family. So do appreciate that. Uh, recently God has been moving, which is great. So uh, significant amount of children and young people have come to faith and adults have shown interest. So do pray on and pray that God will continue to use us uh, in his ministry. Shameless plug. Uh, this is my wife Heidi's book, uh, which was just produced there in the summertime. So this is the time when you start to think about presents for Christmas. Uh, so it was really written for our daughters, who are now 13 and 16. And it's to do with relationships, so that's why it was written uh, for them to discuss relationships, which is great because it means I don't need to chat to them about it. And uh, But actually, it's been really well used already. So if you have... Uh, a daughter or granddaughter in around sort of teenage, late teen years, and you want to easily talk to relationships about them, I would commend that to you. I've brought some with me. They're £5.99. Well, they're really £6 because I don't have any pennies changed. I do have some change. Uh, and if you're uh, nervous about paying for things on a Sunday, uh, I will give the money to Heidi tonight and tell her not to spend it until at least tomorrow. So I do have a quantity of those if you want to pick one of those up, but I commend it to you and do appreciate uh, your prayers. There are several things that I noted in preparation for speaking from Genesis 10 tonight. Uh, the first was I have never heard it spoken on before uh, by anyone. I'm sure it has been spoken on, but I've never heard it spoken on. Uh, it's a list of names, which you will see in a wee minute here when we read through it. Preparation did not come easy to me uh, as I was doing that. And if you're reading through the Bible in a year, I would imagine uh, there's nobody or very few people that Genesis 10 is one of your standout passages, your favorite passages, I would imagine. Uh, we have a privilege in Scrabble that both David Farrell and Jim Crooks uh, come and speak regularly to us. And on several occasions, in fact, actually tonight when I was talking to David at the start, they've both commented publicly from the platform that they must have offended somebody because of some of the topics that they're given in Scrabble to speak on. Well, let me just say that if you would like... To, Stephen Shaw, Trevor Alexander and Robert Hamilton are the people responsible for the topic. So if you want to get your own back, do it with them. It's nothing to do with me. It's a bit unfair, actually, that you've sort of chosen me tonight um, but of course 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness uh, so my prayer is that as we look at this together, Genesis chapter 10 uh, that God will speak to you uh, through it, I have found it challenging but I've actually enjoyed it once I sort of got to where I was thinking and I hope that will be the case uh, tonight, So let's uh, read this. There's a slide that will come up there uh, which will show you some of the names that appear. They're, they're uh, labelled there which is good because they're all family members. They do look quite similar but there's names there to sort of help you as we go through this. But bear with me. Uh, Heidi said to me today, just be confident when you're reading this because people won't know the pronunciations. So that's what I'm going to do but I'll try my best. So let's read together uh, Genesis chapter 10. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Teras, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riftath, and Togermarah. That wasn't quite right, but anyway. The sons of Javan, Elishas, Tarshish, the Kittam, and the Rodimim. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their own nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. 
the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilal, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca, the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erek, Akhtad, and Kalne in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Kala, and Resin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Mizraim was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Leibites, Naphutites, Parthurites, Kasulites. I've done well up until this point. Uh, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphratites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clans scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebuim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Oz, Hul, Gether, and Meshach. Arphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Jotan. Jotam was the father of Almudad, Shelopah, Hasar Amath, Jerez, Hadaram, Uzal, Digla, Ubal, Ab, Emiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Joab. All these sons were of Jotam. The region where they lived stretched from Misha to, towards Shephard in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages. In their territories and nations, these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent, within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. And thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so you will now know how to pronounce those names. <laughs> Mama mia. Amy, give me a hand for one wee second, would you? You just literally just have to come and stand here. And by the way, that song is a beautiful song, but was also sung beautifully. Uh, so thank you for that. I, I love these wee gadgets and things. You know the wee things that just give you a, a slight electric shock? It's just, it's not, they're never too bad. It's just like a wee, it's nearly like a wee nipper, a wee sort of, so if you just see, hang on a wee second, so you just need to see the metal on the end of it there. When you grab the metal, it's, it won't be too bad, honestly. It's just a wee sort of a, Hula! no, I'm only joking. It, it won't give you a shock in any way, but just hold on to that, okay? This wee thing is designed, and it's designed to work when there's connection. So where there's no connection, where there isn't it now, it will never function. It's impossible for it to function. But if you keep holding that with that, and if you just put your finger out, and if you just touch my finger, once there's a connection, that we, that's how it's designed. Okay, so when the connection's broken, it works, or it doesn't work. And then when there's connection, it works. That's how it's designed. Thank you, you may have a seat, you know. And... Uh, did you give her a round of applause for standing up and putting her finger out? Come on, are you easy, please? <laughs> we are created for connection. That is why we're made. That's how we're designed. And I would imagine you've seen that uh, over the last lot of weeks. That is how we're created. I believe firmly 
that life works best where, uh, where connection exists. That is why God designed family and community and nations and relationship. It's a, it's a mindset of God. It's a creation of God. God's heart always is for relationship. And you see it from the beginning of Genesis right the way through its scripture. That is who he is, a God of relationship, a God of connection. And life works better. And you've seen that, I'm sure, over the last lot of chapters uh, in Genesis as you've looked at it. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 says, This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And in the Hebrew mindset, walk described how you lived. And Noah walked in close community, in close communion, in relationship and connection with the living God of heaven. That's how he was designed. And that's how you see Noah's life, in close relationship with him, blameless in the midst of chaos. And I'm sure this has been mentioned, but we do disservice to these great men and women of faith when we reduce them to, in our mindset, children's stories is what we think about. But you think about Noah in the midst of that chaos, confusion, in the midst of a community and a society that was so opposed to God, yet Noah walked in close connection with God. And God, of course, honoured that. He was blameless uh, in the midst of chaos. Genesis 6.11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So that's a context that Noah found himself in. Yet he remained in close connection in relationship with the living God of heaven. And you'll see right the way throughout Genesis, there's a choice for people right from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. Trust God's definition of good and evil and obey him or seize autonomy for yourself and make up your own definition of good and evil and live by your own choices and your own desires. You see that clearly. And in 2019, I think we're at the tipping point, actually, of moral and social chaos because people want to live where they want to largely exclude themselves from what God says is right and wrong and good and evil and make their own choice because we should be able to make our own choice and our own decision. I think we're on the tipping point of absolute chaos in our culture and our society and a lot of the things that you've seen recently. And I think there are now and are going to be catastrophic consequences for our choices that we're making completely opposed to how God would have us live. And there's a verse in there which, and I know you've looked at this, but it's important for what we're going to think about tonight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 22 of Genesis, 20, of Genesis 6 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That is astounding, isn't it? And where he found himself and what everyone else was doing and the choices they were making, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah and his family were the only eight people saved from God's wrath uh, through the flood. And this was God's initiative, the beginning of nations, the beginning ultimately of his rescue plan for a world that was corrupt and broken and selfish and arrogant and deciding to do their own thing. This was God's initiative, God's plan. And actually there's a verse in 1 Peter 1 verse 20 which is a staggering verse speaking about Jesus. He was chosen before the creation of the world and would come through this line. The rescuer would come. God's plan for rescue through the nations. And we're going to celebrate that uh, over the next month or so as we think about the incarnation. Jesus coming to this world and coming to change this world. 
And we think of grace sometimes as a New Testament concept. But it's rich, isn't it, right the way through the Old Testament? God's unmerited favour. So even when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and broke his rules, God already had in place a rescue for them and displayed grace. Noah and his family experienced God's deliverance, God's grace to them. And you see it right the way through the pages of Scripture and the lives of the people that God touched and I was reading this, I've been reading through Genesis just over the last couple of weeks, just to get my mind around uh, what we're thinking about tonight. And something struck me which never has before. Genesis 6 verse 6, it says, When God saw the wickedness of the earth, his heart was filled, not with anger, but with pain. I was struck by that. That's beautiful, isn't it? When God looked at the brokenness and wickedness of the earth, his heart was filled with pain. What a great God we have, a compassionate God that we have. That in the midst of the social and moral chaos that he witnessed and the corruption, his heart was filled with pain. And that is a God that we can know or do know and love. A God who is interested in us, is compassionate towards us and is sovereign in this world. Genesis 9, 18 and 19 introduce what we're going to think about. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. And let me just give you a wee bit of background of these three sons of Noah and the nations that came from them. And then just finish off by speaking about what I feel God really laid on my heart to share uh, from this passage. So from Shem... His descendants, Elam, was ancestor to the Persians, Asher, the Assyrians, Lud, Asia Minor, and Aram, the Syrians. Shem's great-grandson was Eber, from where the Hebrew nation came from. And actually in that wee diagram you see, down that side, from Shem's family line, the wee cross on them indicates where eventually Jesus came from, his family line. And if you trace the lineage of Shem, you see that he was an ancestor of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, and an ancestor ultimately of Jesus Christ, the rescuer. But even when you look at that, and when you trace it back, Shem's family line wasn't without sin, because when you get to the call of Abraham, it says that he came from a line of idol worshippers, and at some point in their journey, the sons of Noah, who were righteous, blameless, Noah, who was righteous, blameless, walked close to God, his sons, his family moved away from worshipping God and worshipped other gods. And then Ham's descendants were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And eventually they populated Africa and the Far East. And when you look at the nation of Canaan in the Bible, more often than not, uh, their legacy is sin and secular, uh, sexual debauchery. And in chapter 9, verse 25, it says, Ham sinned against Noah when Noah got drunk. And the result of that, that he was cursed. And there was a curse put on Canaan. But when you look after the curse, you see this land of Canaan, which is a really good land, a fertile land, a, a really, really spacious land. A better land than either Shem or Japheth had. And people may say, well, that doesn't seem like much of a curse. Sure, look where they are now. They're in a much better place than the people who obeyed and stayed close to God. And I, I read something this week in one of Matthew Henry's commentaries. He said, even those under the curse of God may yet prosper and thrive in this world. 
For we cannot know love or hatred, the blessing or the curse, by what is before us, but by what is in us. Sometimes it's a curse to the soul. And that's an issue we read about over and over again in the Bible. And he makes this point. Sometimes we look at the world around us, and it seems like it's only the good people who are suffering and going through hardship. But we see wicked men, evil men, corrupt men who don't have a cure in the world, and they're the ones prospering and don't seem to have a cure for others. And when we see people suffering, and we say, well, why them? And he directs our attention, and let me read this to you, Psalm 73. Because sometimes when you see the unfolding of God's sovereign will and plan in this world, and you see what he does, and you stand back and say, well, hang on a wee minute here. Here's people who moved away from God, no interest in God, yet they seem to be prospering. Yet people who are close to God seem to be suffering. What is that all about? And this is what it says uh, in Psalm um, 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. I had said I will speak thus. I would have betrayed your children when I tried to understand all this. It was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. There is a sense sometimes when we look at what's going on around us. And when you see these nations and these descendants of Noah, and you see some seemingly trying to stay close to God, and others just completely disregarding what God wants for them, and seemingly everything's well and good for them. But God is sovereign. God is in control. God is in command. God knows what he's doing. God is a God that we can trust and love. And the legacy of all of Ham's sons, seemingly in a good place, in a good land. And when you look at the nation of God's people, these were the nations around them that were hostile to them consistently right away throughout the pages of Scripture, even now, actually. Ham's grandson, Nimrod, means let us rebel. And he was the one responsible, you'll maybe look at this next week, for Babel and Nineveh and leading on to Babylon after that. And there's a tigrum, like a Jerusalem saying, which says Nimrod was powerful in hunting and wickedness before the Lord. The great success that attended Nimrod's undertakings produced a sinister effect. He no longer trusted God, but rather his own prowess and ability. And even today, his descendants 
are the nations of Egypt, Syria, Palestine and Libya, which are hostile, of course, to God's people. And then finally, Japheth. Japheth's descendants were people in India, Western Europe, uh, French, Spanish, Celtic, Russia, Iran, uh, Iraq and Greece. And there's not a lot said about them uh, in the Bible until you get to the New Testament when you start hearing about the Greeks and the Romans. Now, that's a wee bit, like a very wee bit of background as to what those sons, what nations come out of those sons. But see, when I started reading this a few weeks ago, once I got past the initial dread of thinking, what on earth am I going to say (laughs) from this chapter? I really did get a strong sense of three things that I felt God said to me and would want me just to leave with you. And they're very simple things, but I have found them both challenging and encouraging. So three simple truths. When you look at these nations and where they went to and who came out of them, just three simple truths. We are called to walk with God. Here's the first one. We are called to walk with God in relationship with him, in connection with him. That's our calling. So as Christians, our calling is to walk with God, to stay close to him, to be obedient to him. And also for those of us who are parents and grandparents and have responsibility for children, our responsibility is to teach our children to do the same, to instruct them to do the same. And of course, when the nation of Israel crossed into the promised land eventually, the instructions that they were given, and I love this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord as long as you live. By keeping all his decrees and commands, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it will go well with you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. These commands I give you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. We are called to walk with God. That's our calling, to walk close to God and to instruct those under our care to do the same and to be intentional and to be normal and natural about that. And in a culture and a society that says, actually, we're not interested in what the Bible teaches or what God says, maybe at more time than any other time in history, we are called to walk with God and to command others to do the same and instruct them to do the same and pray that they too will follow God. Now, ultimately, children will make their own choice and their own decision. And you see that. Noah was blameless in a corrupt generation. He walked close with God. Yet his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, made this move away from the God that Noah followed to follow whatever gods they chose and completely disregarded God. And there's a verse in Judges 2.10 which sort of inspires me in what I do in terms of working with children and young people. And it says, after that whole generation died and were gathered to their fathers, a new generation grew who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I can't get my head around how that's in the Bible. And the only rational explanation is the people of God who were commanded to talk about this and explain it, they didn't bother. Or else the people chose not to listen and moved away. Some of you will be grandparents and parents and your hearts are breaking for prodigals in your family. And even though you have raised them to follow God's way, and even though you have walked close with God, and you have made it your uh, place in this world to try and live it out 
and model it and explain to your children and grandchildren there will be some of you here tonight and your hearts will be broken because they have moved away from God and some of you will carry guilt in that there's a, a lovely Christian couple in Scrabble, such a godly couple whose both sons brought up through church made a commitment at one point seemingly living with God but both now have chosen to completely disregard God and move away and it's couples, their heart breaks for them and they carry a sense of guilt with them in that and times that I spent with them I've tried to say to them listen, ultimately it's their choice you can't nor should we try and force people people have to make their own individual choice, a wee note of caution on that children and young people need to have their own personal individual faith they cannot live their faith through other people you can't you can be encouraged and supported and equipped, but it has to be their personal individual faith. At a certain point, they need to have responded to Christ. They need to have the desire. Now, we can uh, lead them and guide them and show it, but we need to uh, allow them to make their own choice and pray for them when, sadly, they choose to move away. But I would say to you tonight, if you're someone and your heart is broken, keep praying for that person. But... Please do not be at by guilt in that. And give that over to God and ask God that he will bring them back into relationship or else bring them for the first time. Noah was a righteous man, but his family lived at completely at odds to his faith and his choice. My daughters are now 16 and 13 and praise God, uh, both going on well for him and involved in church and, and, and seemingly excited about that. I don't know what the years will bring in terms of their choice. I wish I could now design a path for them for the next lot of years. Well, I can't do that. Heidi and I can model faith and pray for them and encourage them, but they need to make their own choice. And I pray that they will stay close to God and walk with him. But I suppose in a sense that's all we can do. So that's the first thing, the first point. We are called to walk with God. Second is this, disobedience and rebellion have consequences sometimes on a global scale and you see that in these nations as they disregarded God moved away from God you see the consequences right through to today 2019 on a global scale of these nations and their disobedience and their contention with the things of God in Psalm 60 whenever David committed adultery with Bathsheba and Nathan went and again you see the grace of God in that but Nathan said to him, because of your disobedience, the sword will never depart. And all of David's rule as king, there was never peace. There are consequences for disobedience. Is God vindictive? No. He's holy and he's just. But there are consequences for disobedience. And in a culture which has become an increasingly uncomfortable, talking about sin and moral decline because we can choose to do what we want, Sin has consequences. Disobedience has consequences. And you see that through these families. Disaster. Chaos in these families. And we need to be sensitive in how we talk to people about that. And explain to people about that. But I really do believe we have to warn people of that as well. And as we see some of the choices, even in our own province over the last while, that are so opposed to the word of God, I think we need to be vocal. Not arrogant, but I think we do need to be vocal. And say, do you know what? See these choices that we are making and being swept along in a wave of tolerance. They are going to have disastrous consequences for individuals, for families, for our nation, for our society, for our culture. 
Sin and disobedience have consequences, some of them on a global scale. And we need to be aware of that in our own personal lives and in the lives of people around us. And lastly, and sometimes when you look at these things you can become discouraged, can't you? This is a bit depressing talking about this sort of stuff. But here's the last thing. God is sovereign. Praise God. God is sovereign. In the Psalms and other books of the Bible, and I'm glad they're recorded, David is brutally honest in terms of how he feels sometimes as he questions God and asks God, you know, where are you? Why is this happening? And shows maybe apparent disappointment with God. And as they wrestle with the circumstances of their lives and what is happening and cry out to God, well, God, of course, reveals himself because God is sovereign. God is in control. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways are you nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't presume to know the mind of God. And when you read through the pages of Scripture, and when you read through these sons of Noah and grandsons and great grandsons and descendants, and see the utter chaos that came as a result of that. And question, why on earth did God preserve these people so that this would come from them? Well, God is sovereign. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. Praise God. And it isn't a good job that we don't have any opportunity to have us speak into that. Because what chaos we would um, reign if we did. About a month or maybe more than that ago, Peter Linus from Evangelical Alliance uh, put a response on his Facebook page to the upcoming vote uh, on abortion and redefinition of marriage in Northern Ireland, and I found it really encouraging. So this is uh, before the vote um, and before the law came in in October, and this is what he wrote. It's the morning after the votes at Westminster that may fundamentally reshape Northern Ireland. Here are my own reflections. I read Psalm 2 last night, which is one of the songs, the City of Light song that we sang at the start. I read it again this morning. The nations will always conspire. People will always plot in vain. The world is growing ever more chaotic. But this is not a new thing, nor a surprise to God. In Ephesians, Paul reminds us that Christ remains on the throne in deep heaven. Praise God. In charge of the universe. No name and no power exempt from his rule. Paul continues, the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. We and others think the opposite at moments like this, that the church is peripheral. Not so, because as Paul reminds us, the resurrected Jesus leads and rules his church. So here's our calling. As we see the chaos ensuing in our society, we must remain faithful to our calling to make disciples, to speak truth, to model grace and mercy, to do justice to be a non-anxious presence, to steward heaven and earth, to love our neighbour, to seek the peace and prosperity of Northern Ireland, to go after the least and the lost, to walk humbly with our God. The votes last night undermined devolution. They were carried by MPs without a mandate and involved dubious parliamentary tactics. That could have been unfortunate. (laughs) All that is true. There are valid points to be made on those issues, but the reality is simpler. Abortion is wrong. It's a taking of another human life. 
one that cannot speak up for or defend itself. There are hard cases and we must balance both lives involved. But the votes last night weren't about this. They were to decriminalise abortion in Northern Ireland. The details have to be worked out, but in simple terms, it was removing any legal sanction for abortion at any stage. It, was, it leaves a hawk's edge egg with a better protection than an unborn child. But today I feel challenged and excited about the opportunities ahead, challenged to do all I can to protect the life of the unborn child. Regardless, we will work with others to ensure Northern Ireland is the most life-affirming place it can be. We know 100,000 people are alive today because it wasn't brought in in 1967. And even if abortion becomes a legal option, or now that it has, of course, there will be opportunities to create a culture that means it will be taken by as few people as possible. The early church was famous for getting up early each morning and gathering in the disregarded babies found outside the city walls and raising them as their own. That is our model. A culture of death is fertile ground for a story of resurrection and life. In a world of fear, a gospel of hope has new appeal. In a culture of individualism and consumerism, sacrificial church communities will stand out and have opportunity to draw others in. So we, the church, must remain faithful to our calling, gathering to worship together, to mourn together, to pray together, and then scattering to love our neighbour, to make disciples, to be a non-anxious presence in an uncertain world. We must call on and help our politicians to do better for the sake of the other, but we must not lose hope, for our hope is in Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and heal your world. That is lengthy, but I think that is absolutely brilliant. And as we look at nations which spiralled out of control and completely moved away from God and a nation and a society which does the same. If you take nothing else away from tonight, and you may well not, remember that God is sovereign. God is on the throne. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our prayer, of course, is that many people would turn now and do that. But as I pray, what I thought, that irrespective of what has gone on in this world or will go on in this world, that we come into the presence of a compassionate, gracious, holy, loving God who gave us his son so that we can be in relationship with him and be with him for all eternity in heaven. And he sits on the throne and the nations are in his hand and he is sovereign. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would worship you and thank you. I pray that we would walk with you in our daily lives, that we would walk in close communion with you, in connection with you. That is when life works best. We're created for relationship and connection with you, the living God of heaven. And Lord, I pray for people here tonight whose hearts are breaking because they have loved ones who are far away from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to walk close with you and to model faith and to live it out. And there's no guarantee that even by doing that, but I pray, Lord, that you would help them to pray to you, to stay close to you, to show love and compassion to loved ones who are far away from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring many prodigals home and back into a relationship with you or into a relationship with you for the first time. Help us to be faithful to our calling. Father, thank you that you are sovereign. You sit on the throne. And I pray that you would help us to trust you and help us as well, Lord, to acknowledge that disobedience has consequences. 
huge consequences and we see it in our culture. And help us, Lord, to speak truth with love and to be confident without being arrogant and to show people the reality of a God who loves us and is in control of this world. So I just pray that my thoughts, scrambled as they are, will be completely forgotten before I sit down. But, Father, that you and your sovereignty through your Holy Spirit would speak into lives and that your word would challenge and convict us for the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom.